0: Hi, and welcome to A Dad's Path Podcast. We're real dads solving everyday problems. Each week we tackle issues that dads everywhere face and deliver actions you can take right away. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. Our goal is to help you make fatherhood count. Dad on. Welcome to another episode of A Dad's Path Podcast. I'm Will Bronstein. Today I'm here with Eva Klein, a certified infant and child sleep consultant and founder of MySleepingBaby.com. After having one baby who slept, well, like a baby, her second was the opposite. I'll let Eva pick up the story from there, but welcome, Eva.
1: Hi, Will. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for coming. Did I get that right? One was an easy sleeper, the other...
1: A hundred percent. You got it bang on. So, you know, baby number one was one of those babies that just makes you look like the best parent in the entire world. (laughs) Like you just got this all under control and you're a genius. And then a couple of years later, when my middle child was born, that was when I went, oh, this is what everyone's talking about when they're talking about babies who cry all the time and need to be held constantly and don't sleep and don't exactly make you feel like the best mom in the entire world either. And so she was that baby that sort of accidentally got me into the business of sleep consulting because when she was four months old, she was that baby that did not sleep and was waking me up every 90 minutes all night long. And despite the fact that I live in Canada and was on mat leave, at the time, I still did not feel like a normal functioning human, despite the fact that I wasn't going to work, that I was home, but I still just felt like a shell of myself. And so that's sort of what accidentally got me into this. And uh, here I am today, that middle child of mine is now nine. Oh, awesome. (laughs) And then then we had a third uh, a few years later, who's now four.
0: Yeah. So just, I mean, you said some really interesting things there because sleep is obviously so, so important for you and for us. You know, we don't get enough of sleep. We just can't act normal. And then obviously for our babies, right? The same thing. If they're not sleeping, then they're not going to be feeling good. Mm -hmm. But you said something which I think is really touching that it makes you feel like you're not a good mom or you're not a good parent, right? Right. And I think that's a easy trap to fall into just for first-time parents here, first-time dad's listening. You know, like what am I doing wrong? Like this baby's crying all the time blah, blah, blah. and it's just you know that's not true, right?
1: right, no, a hundred percent a hundred percent at the same time, though, you know, I will say that. Given that I was so sleep deprived at the time, I knew that I was not the best version of myself for my baby, for my toddler, and for my husband. You know, I was literally in sheer survival mode, just trying to keep my head above water. So, a hundred percent, it does not make you a bad parent whatsoever to not know what your baby needs every second of every day because, you know, some of these babies are very difficult. these babies can be really challenging to figure out why they're crying all the time and why they won't sleep and why they won't eat and, you know, why all these things are happening. So that's definitely not your fault whatsoever, nor is it your fault that you are chronically sleep deprived and you can barely recognize yourself. At the same time, I wasn't willing to just accept that as my you know, indefinite reality, you know, just waiting for the baby to outgrow this. I couldn't live like that in the grand scheme of things. And so that's why I took matters into my own hands and figured out what was going on so that I could feel like a normal functioning human again.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, good for you. So what, what kind of training did you do? How did you become a sort of expert here?
1: Yeah, so basically when I decided I when I had this Eureka moment, I remember, you know, calling my husband at the office and telling him, "I think I want to launch a side business to become a sleep consultant." You know, a side business given that I was a lawyer. I am a lawyer still. I'm a member in good standing of the Law Society of Upper Canada still, <laughs> otherwise known as Ontario. And the idea was never for me to leave law because I mean, who the hell does that? You know, only crazy people we'll do something like that. It was just sort of meant to be, you know, a fun side gig, that's all. So what I ended up doing was I was on mat leave. I had a a 12-month maternity leave. And so I had about, you know, six, seven months to be able to dedicate to a certification program. That's what it was. It was an online certification training program that I was able to go through on my own time while the baby was napping and, you know, when she would go down for the night. And so by the time she was one, and I went back to work, I had this side business launched. Wow. But the real training from there, I would say, is the 2,000 plus families that I have worked with (laughs) over time because really the vast majority of what you learn in this sort of thing is on the go, like on the job, you know, seeing day in and day out what's working, what doesn't work so that you just get better from there.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure with all that experience, that's worth its weight in gold. So sleep training is one of those terms like a lot of us have heard, but maybe don't fully understand what it means. I mean, is it kids of all ages? Is it, could you talk about what it is and start there?
1: That's a great question. So I define sleep training as teaching anyone, teaching a baby, a toddler, or a preschooler how to sleep independently. So the reason why we sleep train and we teach our little ones how to fall asleep without help is because how we fall asleep initially is often what sets the tone for the rest of the night. So if a baby for example is falling asleep, needing to be rocked, needing to be held, needing, you know, to be nursed, bottle fed, or maybe you have a preschooler that needs you to lie down next to them in bed until they fall asleep. There's nothing inherently wrong or bad about any of this. I just want to preface this by saying that there's no judgment here whatsoever, but from a sleep standpoint, If your goal is to be able to maximize your little one's sleep, get proper stretches when they're younger, get them sleeping straight through the night when they're older, that's likely going to get in the way of things because there's nothing stopping your little one from waking up at the end of a sleep cycle throughout the night, needing you to come back and help them go back to sleep. Versus when they know how to fall asleep on their own to begin with, just like you and I, it means that they can then learn how to keep themselves asleep, the way that you and I can. So when we wake up at the end of a sleep cycle, we don't even remember most likely. We just roll over and go right back to sleep. And that's ultimately what my people want for their little ones so that they're either sleeping straight through or just waking up to eat only to then go right back to sleep until the morning. So that's what sleep training is in a nutshell. A lot of people think that it needs to involve putting your little one in their crib or bed, say good night, leave, the room and just not go back in and just let them, you know, scream their brains off. So I want to just address that for a second, you know, and make two very important points about this. Number one, and that is that teaching your little one how to sleep independently does not need to involve doing something cold turkey like putting your baby in the crib and leaving. There are many other approaches that you can use to get you from point A to point B, like a gradual withdrawal method, where maybe instead of rocking your little one, you're sitting next to them until they fall asleep and supporting them through this process, gradually moving further and further away with time. You could also use, you know, a time check system where you put them in the crib, you leave, but then you check on them at certain intervals. So your little one does not need to be going through this process process completely alone, if that feels outside of your comfort zone. And then at the same time, when it comes to, you know, those night wakings, a lot of people will say to me, well, I don't want to be getting rid of my little one's night feeds. You know, he's only four months old. He still needs to eat at least once. And I would agree with that, that the vast majority of those four month olds, you know, still need that one feed, you know, sometime in the middle of the night. And so we can still sleep train your little one while respecting, any nighttime nutritive needs they might have, but that might also involve weaning them off of some of the unnecessary feeds that they're waking up for. I can tell you from experience, personal experience, that waking up with your four-month-old once a night versus five times a night is a different ballgame. So that's what I want to emphasize here is that there's no one size fits all approach. There are many other options than just cry it out. And sleep training does not need to involve removing all of your little one's night feeds if they're not ready and if you're not ready.
0: Awesome. I appreciate that. How long are sleep cycles? It feels like something I should know. Is it different for adults and kids and babies?
1: So on average, an infant sleep cycle is about 45 minutes long. So if anyone listening to this is going, oh, is that why my six-month-old only naps for 45 minutes on the dot and then wakes up? The answer is yes. (laughs) And so, you know, that six-month-old that we're talking about here, if that six-month-old is not falling asleep completely by themselves, then it means that there is a higher likelihood that they're going to wake up after only 45 minutes because it's the end of a sleep cycle and they don't know how to put themselves back to sleep without help. A toddler preschooler sleep cycle is typically about 60 to 75 minutes long, and an adult sleep cycle is about 90 to 100 minutes long. But they all follow a similar pattern of starting off in lighter sleep, transitioning into deeper sleep, and then transitioning back into later sleep before either putting themselves back to sleep or waking up.
0: Awesome. No, thank you. That's really interesting. Another specific question, actually, what about pacifiers? You know, you mentioned like rocking, things like that. Yeah. Are pacifiers okay, or is that the kind of thing?
1: Good question. So, the answer is it depends. This is like the l- annoying lawyerly answer, but <laughs> I'm happy to elaborate. So, generally speaking, I'll tell you that I'm a really big fan of pacifiers. All three of my kids slept with a pacifier until they were, you know, three and three and a half, respectively. And pacifiers are a really helpful tool for newborns in particular because newborns are born with what's known as a sucking reflex, where, you know, if they suck on something like a pacifier, it naturally helps calm their little nervous system and it really helps them relax. So a pacifier is a really great tool to help a baby calm who is otherwise very fussy pacifiers are also really, really great for those older babies and toddlers and preschoolers for the exact same reason, because it is inherently calming to them. It can provide them with a lot of comfort at night when they're going to sleep. The one time frame that pacifiers can become problematic in the sleep department is in that four to eight month age range. And I'll tell you that of my three kids, the pacifier did become a very big problem for one of them. The other two, it did not become a problem, but it did become a problem for that middle child that I was telling you about that was waking me up every 90 minutes all night long. And you see, the reason why it can become a problem in that age range is because that's when your little one is transitioning to those sleep cycles As a newborn, they're not cycling in and out of deep and light sleep, not just yet. When they get to that four month mark, that's when the transition to adult like sleep begins. And so a four month old, five month old, six month old, seven month old, et cetera, is going to have the awareness that they're about how they're falling asleep initially, i.e., with a pacifier. But then the problem is that if the pacifier falls out, They don't have the fine motor skills to be able to replace it on their own. And so that's when you could get yourself into trouble needing to find that pacifier and put it back in their mouth all night long to help them go back to sleep. So with my first and my third, that never actually became a problem where they were four or five months old, were falling asleep with the pacifier, no problem. Or maybe they would go down with it. It would fall out at some point and it didn't disrupt their sleep. My middle child, on the other hand, would wake up every 90 minutes for me to put that pacifier back in her mouth. So, you're asking me, is the pacifier a problem? Well, it depends. When your little one is waking you up every 90 minutes all night long, I would argue that it's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And so, in that situation, I had no choice but to chuck that pacifier out the window because it was either going to be myself or the pacifier. So, I chose the pacifier. Um, But Uh, I will just also emphasize that I did, I kept it for the daytime because it's still a really helpful tool when your baby is awake and fussy or in the car or in the stroller and, you know, tends to get cranky. It's very, very helpful in that sense. Plus, what by the time she did reach that eight-month mark, her... Fine motor skills became a lot stronger that I was able to reintroduce the pacifier for sleep at bedtime, at nighttime. And it wasn't a problem because she was able to retrieve it on her own. And then from there, she slept with it until I got rid of it when she was three and a half and more than ready for it. So overall, I am a very big fan as long as it's used as a tool and not as a crutch, meaning you don't want to find yourself constantly putting it in your little one's mouth then that's obviously causing problems in the sleep department and we don't want that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a great answer. Thank you. And great distinction of, you know, where your child is in their in their sleep development. Yes. So would you I guess what age on average would you would you suggest starting someone with sleep training? Would it be like 4 months, 5 months then that early or earlier?
1: That's a good question. So generally speaking, the answer is when you are ready. That's when can you begin to sleep train your little one? Yeah. 16 weeks and up is absolutely when if your little one is relying on a lot of help to fall asleep, we can jump in and intervene and, you know, and begin to introduce independent sleep skills by that stage. That being said, I wouldn't say that you should because, and again, this is like, you can take the lawyer out of law, but you can't take the law out of the lawyer. So, you know, my <laughs> my apologies for like being yeah. nitpicky about the language, but the language is, is very important, you know, could versus should versus would. I would never say that someone should be you know, doing anything at any stage because it's not for me to tell someone you know, whether or not something is working. When should someone intervene and make changes when the status quo is not working for them and they're not happy with the status quo and they want to you know, introduce some new routines and get their little one sleeping like a champ. I do just want to also emphasize though That just because we can't do any sleep training with newborns, with the little ones under the age of four months, it doesn't mean that we can't introduce healthy sleep habits from day one. In fact, I actually have a newborn sleep program that it's called Getting a Head Start, all about newborn sleep. And it literally teaches parents how to set their little one up for success from the very beginning so that you can hopefully, first of all, make the newborn stage as manageable as possible from the very beginning, you know, limit crying, improve daytime feeds, get actual chunks of sleep in, you know, from the very beginning. So you're not running on empty. And then from there, hopefully avoid future problems down the road. Everything in that program, that program was inspired by my third baby, my son JJ, because he was my first baby that I had as a sleep consultant. So I had already been doing this for, you know, four or five years before I had him. And so he was, you know, my little Guinea pig that I was able to apply everything that I had been teaching to thousands of families to my own baby. And so not to toot my own horn, but I will just say that by the time he was six weeks of age, he was consistently sleeping eight hour stretches day in and day out at nighttime for me. And so when I posted about this in my Facebook group, a lot of the moms of my group were like, say what? Like, what? what is this? I'm not, teach me this. How do I do this? I, I also have a six-week-old and he's waking up every two hours. What's the secret sauce here? And so that inspired me to basically, you know, create a program so that you don't just have to, you know, live through the equivalent of a dumpster fire for four months before you can actually make changes. And the reality is that with him, I didn't even have to do that much of any sleep training because of what I introduced to him when he was just a few weeks old.
0: No, that's fantastic. And I know you also offer a free masterclass for our our listeners. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. Amazing. Because you're right. I mean, the, the earlier you start, the better. Yes. Developing, you know, any kind of habits, whether we're talking about food or sleeping. And sleep training tends to be, again, to stereotype, which I, which I do on every show, more led by the moms. And yeah. so if that's something that as dads, we can come in, not necessarily leading, but with more information and resources like your site, you know, mysleepingbaby.com or there's a lot of resources. But, you know, I think doing that research is worth its weight, you know.
1: For sure, 100%. I mean, especially if mom is breastfeeding, for example, and she's the one doing all the night feeds because she's breastfeeding, she's going to be a lot more tired the next day and probably way too bleary-eyed to, you know, be doing any research. So I think that dad can play a really important role here in sort of, you know, coming up with a plan because hopefully in that situation, like dad's brain is like a little bit more filled (laughs) the next morning than mom's is. And then you can come up with a game plan to be able to tackle what's actually happening. The other thing that I tell, even for all families across the board, is that I always strongly recommend that both parents be involved with this process to a degree. And obviously, it's going to look different from family to family, you know, just based on dynamics. But the reality is that we don't want your baby or toddler or preschooler to think that whatever changes we are making only apply to mommy and not daddy yep. or vice versa, right? They need to understand that they apply to both parents here and that there is consistency across the board so that, you know, the message is clear and everything goes as, you know, quickly and seamlessly as possible.
0: I like that. No, absolutely. Yeah. I push that all the time. I mean, dads need to be involved just as much as, as moms. So that's, yes, that's awesome.
1: A hundred percent. And this is even if mom is continuing to breastfeed, that practically speaking is likely going to mean that there will be a breastfeeding session involved with your little one's bedtime routine, but it's not going to be the entire bedtime routine. It'll likely be, you know, near the beginning, but then afterwards there's still, you know, the bath, pajamas, a story, a song, some quiet play, whatever your routine looks like. And then placing your little one into their crib or bed, depending on the age and stage, is something that dad can and should be doing, you know, just as much as mom. And I find that for the breastfeeding moms in particular, who are just feeling so exhausted and depleted from, you know, feeling like, feeling like a cow, first of all, you know, feeling like it's just this, you know, all you can eat buffet situation and that they are stuck at home, can't go anywhere because they're the only ones that can get baby to sleep. When I assure them of this, that not only is this a change that is possible, it's what I recommend. It's oftentimes such a relief for them to hear that these changes will give them the freedom to be able to not be home at bedtime sometimes, right? You know, let dad give the baby a bottle instead and then do the rest of the routine on his own. Or maybe mom breastfeeds, hands baby off to dad, and then is able to go to her yoga class. And then dad can take over because dad is just as competent of doing this as mom is when we're making these changes. And so for the moms that are not happy with the status quo, it's it can be such a massive weight lifted off their shoulder to hear this.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you for that. And going back to um, the age you start with sleep training, you know, it could be 16 weeks and up. And I'll just say the dads I've spoken to and from my personal experience, just anecdotally all that, every dad has said something similar which is I wish we started sooner yeah so <laughs> that might be something just also to keep in mind
1: a hundred percent you
0: know ideally before the dam breaks because that's when it often is like ah like we're not sleeping so
1: why did we wait this long yeah or it's you know very often I'll hear parents you know naturally they'll feel hesitant it's a change they know their little one's gonna be upset and you know it's not it's not enjoyable you know to have your little one upset making these changes but then you're actually Absolutely right. That once we're done, they say the exact same thing. Like, gosh, I wish I hadn't waited this long. That was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, and uh, I could have been sleeping months ago if I, you know, hadn't pushed this off.
0: Yeah, no, that's the amazing aspect. And again, just to generalize, how long does the sort of initial sleep training take? You know, so you have a baby who's up in the night. I know there's going to be a wide range, and there's learning that happens and and coaching. But just in terms of the actual night one to night X, how How long is that?
1: So when everything is done consistently and correctly, and that's important, right? Because a lot of people will say, you know, oh, I tried doing X, Y, Z, and I stuck with it consistently, you know, for five days, 10 days, a month, and we were still getting, you know, tons of crying at bedtime. Consistency is only going to get you so far if what you're doing also isn't correct. Right? It needs to be addressing your sleep plan, whatever it is that you're implementing, needs to be properly addressing all the puzzle pieces simultaneously. It's not just a matter of putting the baby in the crib and executing a sleep training method of choice because everything leading up to bedtime needs to be down pat first. Otherwise, the sleep training might be bound to fail before it begins, or it's a crapshoot at best in terms of what it's going to look like. So when things are done with an infant consistently and correctly... We typically see massive changes within a week, if not less, of beginning. I've got a mom with five-month-old twins on the go. They're five months corrected. So we're treating them with they were born premature. So typically with premature babies, we go by their corrected age because that's what they follow in terms of their sleep patterns usually. And we just started the sleep training portion of things about four or five days ago. And these Five month old babies, both of them just slept 10 and a half hours straight last night.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: So it's funny. They both slept. The parents did not sleep 10 and a half hours because they both kept waking up over and over and over again. Is one of them going to wake up? Why aren't they waking up? They're like afraid to go back to sleep because you know that 10 minutes later they're going to wake up and they never actually did. Right. So this is what I mean, where these are the types of results that you can expect to see in a very short period of time. That's the truth. Like this is not the kind of process when you're dealing with a baby that should ever be taking weeks and months on end to actually complete. With a toddler or a preschooler, it might be a little bit longer. You know, it might be a two-week-long process, let's say, because, you know, we're dealing with like a walking, talking human that, you know, has an opinion and knows how to tantrum at that point. You know, that's really their specialty at a certain stage. And so they have more energy and like wherewithal to push back against whatever changes that we are making. And of course, it means that we can support them and be there with them through these changes while remaining firm. But it might just take a little bit longer. You know, of course, still recognizing that a two week long period is like a blip in your time span over the next number of years when it comes to how significant these changes are going to be when you actually make them.
0: No, Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you brought up something interesting with preschoolers and toddlers. What are more subtle signs that you need some sleep training? You know, obviously, if your baby's up every 45 minutes and you need to rock them. Okay, that's clear. Mm-hmm. But like a preschooler, if they're getting up at like 4 a.m. or something, I guess, you know, like what are signs that, are, that would be less obvious?
1: Well, listen, if you've got a preschooler, a toddler, a preschooler. So let's say, you know, like 18 months and up is what I, you know, define as a toddler. And then preschooler is, let's say, like two and a half to three and up by that age, your little one can absolutely should, should really be sleeping straight through the night, you know, uninterrupted day in and day out. Like an average two year old usually needs about 11 hours of nighttime sleep and a two hour nap. So, this is an average. Of course, you're going to have some that need more, some that need less. It's very rare to see a two-year-old that needs significantly less than that. No different than an average adult needs eight hours of, you know, nighttime sleep. How often do you find an adult that really truly needs five? Right. We're not I'm not talking gets five. There's a lot of those. Right.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. But
1: like how many of them are actually really, truly, sincerely waking up completely well rested after five hours? A teeny tiny segment of our population that is blessed (laughs) with three more hours to their day than, you know, the rest of us have. A three year old, just to sort of give you context, usually needs about 12 hours of sleep over a 24 hour period. So that might mean not napping during the day and then sleeping 12 hours around the clock. It might mean napping one to one and a half hours during the day and then sleeping 10 and a half to, you know, 11 hours at night. So how do we know if there's a problem? with, you know, your toddler's or preschooler's sleep. So, you know, I guess the most obvious answer is you would know, (laughs) right? If it's taking you hours to get your preschooler to sleep because, you know, they're not staying in bed and they're running out, or they need you to stay in their room and you're in toddler jail for two hours, you know, while they're falling asleep, but still distracted by you, but also need you in the room at the same time, that is likely something that you're gonna wanna fix. If your little ones are regularly waking up at night, we're not dealing with night feeds at this age anymore. That's absolutely something that we can be tackling. You're asking, you know, what if they're waking up at 4 a.m. for the day? So in my world, 4 a.m. is nighttime. Like, no question about it. (laughs) You know, I I know that there are some people out there that willingly get up at 5 a.m. You know, to go for a run or whatnot. I mean, the only thing that would ever willingly get me up at 5 a.m., I guess, is to catch a flight to Florida. But other than that... In my world, anything that is before 6, 6, 30, 7 a.m. is absolutely nighttime. So if your little one is waking up at 4 for the day and not going back to sleep, that is very fixable because chances are your little one is not waking up at 4 a.m. well-rested unless he's going to bed for like 5 p.m. the night before, which he's probably Probably lost, different issues then. Which is likely not the case. Yeah, yeah. So um, So yes. And I also just want to assure you that these are very common issues as well. They might not be talked about as much, but they're very, very common. I get almost as many parents reaching out to me for help with, you know, the 18 months plus age range as the 18 months and lower age range.
0: Interesting. Wow. I have one last question for you, Eva. Sleep regression. I've heard that term a lot. Can you help? Like, what what is that?
1: A sleep regression is defined as a blip of some kind in the sleep department, usually caused by something developmental that normally involves you know, riding out, knowing that the phase will come to an end very, very soon. So for example, when babies reach that eight to 10 month mark, there is a very well known regression that again, doesn't always happen. It's not this guaranteed phenomenon that no matter what your little one is going to turn eight months old. And then it's like, boom, he turns into a pumpkin, you know, (laughs) clock strikes midnight, baby turns eight months old, turns into a pumpkin, regression hit. It's it's not the way that it works, but in the eight to 10 month age range, there's a lot that your baby goes through developmentally. You know, there oftentimes are huge bursts in gross motor development. They're learning how to crawl. They're learning how to sit up. They're learning how to stand up there's also a very big burst in language comprehension. And so when there is so much going on in your little one's brain, it can oftentimes overwhelm them and cause a bit of a blip in the sleep department. And so the solution in this situation is feel free to offer your little one some extra support around bedtime, but don't introduce habits, new habits that you don't want in the grand scheme of things, because they're going to end up sticking around. You give it a couple of days and then boom, you have a, you have a brand new routine on your hands. Right. And then there are some very well-known regressions that can happen. Again, they don't always, but they can happen when your little one is around 18 months and then again, around two. And these are more behavioral where, you know, you now it's sort of like, This is your welcome to toddlerhood or welcome to parenting a toddler. Your toddler is now learning how to say the word no or has mastered the word no and is experimenting and seeing what happens when they push back at these boundaries, at these routines that you've got my own two-year-old at that stage, my son. It was very cute. It was, it was like E for effort, you know, good job, bud. You're, you're trying to, you know, fight the good fight and see what happens if you don't cooperate at bedtime. And I remember looking at him and I was like, you don't know what your mommy does for a living, do you? <laughs> you have no idea. And then I said to him, this is gonna make for a great podcast episode. Thank you so much, bud, because it's great when I have my own, you know, real life material to explain this phenomenon and then what exactly I did to like nip it in the bud as quickly as as possible. So those are very, very common. Now, I did not start with the four-month regression on purpose. The four-month regression should actually not be called a regression, even though it is technically titled as one. Because what happens around the four-month mark, as I said before, is that your little one's sleep cycles mature and become more adult-like. And so they are now cycling in and out of deep and light sleep. And so if you have a baby that needs help falling asleep, it can cause, this development can cause lots of extra unnecessary night wakings. The difference between this one versus the other you know, two or three I just mentioned is that these changes are permanent. It's not a phase. Mm. So the solution is don't write it out. If sleep is becoming unbearable for you, this is when you want to address the root of the problem, which is a lack of independent sleep skills and teach them those skills, you know, head on so you can make the situation better. So really, if I had it my way, I would call it the four month permanent neurological change to your baby's sleep patterns, but it doesn't have the same ring. <laughs> doesn't have the same ring as four month regression. I like so that. I get it from like a marketing standpoint or like a quick witted title standpoint, it doesn't hold up, but it's much more accurate.
0: And that's a great distinction for us dads to learn, right? There's the four month where it's more developmental. And then after that, just real quick, I know it's going to depend, but how long are those sleep regression phases? Is it a week? Is it a couple days that I'm talking about the latter ones?
1: Yeah. So with the eight to 10 month regression, I find that, yeah, it might be, you know, a couple days. It might be a week. With the toddler ones, I know that my son kept pulling his shtick, for lack of a better word. He just kept, you know, (laughs) it was sort of like an on again, off again sort of situation where it was over the course of, I'd say, two or three months. But It was much, much, much more of an off than it was an on because – I would just nip it in the bud right away and not give in to his shenanigans. So, you know, maybe he would give me trouble at bedtime for like two nights in a row. And then for two weeks, he would be okay again. And then he'd give it like another, you know, kick at the can a couple weeks later. And then I'd nip it in the bud again. And then maybe a month later, he tried it again. It was like that, that sort of thing. Because again, toddlers have a little bit more energy. But generally speaking, I will just say that the impact that a regression has on your little one's sleep doesn't just come down to how you address it in the moment. I would say it mainly really does come down to what your little one's sleep was like before the regression hit. That's the million dollar question. So if your little one before this regression hit was normally waking up three times a night, Then, yeah, now that he's learning how to stand up and can't sit back down and is so beyond overwhelmed, that does have the potential to have your little one go from, you know, three night wakings to seven night wakings. But an eight-month-old who is sleeping 11 to 12 hours uninterrupted, you know, day in and day out is not going to suddenly start waking up five times a night because he's learning how to stand. Mm -hmm. He just won't. It just really does not happen. But that version of a regression might be it takes them a little bit longer to fall asleep at bedtime. It's that sort of thing.
0: Gotcha, understood. Wow, this has been super educational and really interesting. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our dads will as well, but I know just scratching the surface. So uh, like I said, you're offering a free masterclass, which I really appreciate for our listeners, which we'll put in the show notes and you can go to mysleepingbaby.com. But Eva, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Will. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Take care. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you haven't joined us yet, go to adadspath.com to get our free newsletter exclusively for dads. And do you know a friend who might like this podcast? Send it on. We want to help as many dads as possible make fatherhood count. Dad on.